Today on Lockdown, Canadians, are Canadians fans exaggerating their concerns about Stefan Robida? There's a new hockey team and a new hockey league in Montreal, and that's on today's Lockdown Canadians. For Lockdown Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 667 of Locked On Canadians, your first listen of every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. My name is Laura Sab. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by Scott Matlove, Habs Eyes on the Prize. And today, as a special guest, we've brought on his boss. So, Scott, do you feel like you're in the hot seat right now? Uh, no. Uh, Jared's been around me in person several times now to know what to expect uh, for myself. And we 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 launched the podcast over at Eyes on the Prize before I uh, joined Locked On Canadian. So Jared knows exactly what he's getting, only this is our show, so I get to decide what stays in the edits on a given night. So for better or for worse in that regard, it's usually for the worst because... Sometimes you have a little bit too much caffeine and you yell about Vegas and people get mad at you on Twitter. So, but we're not doing that tonight. We're not getting mad at Vegas on this show tonight, I promise. And as you mentioned, our special guest today is Jared Book, Deputy Managing Editor of Habs Eyes on the Prize. Jared, fresh off a of vacation, we have decided to poach you for a very, it's very early in our off season of special guests. You're one of the very first we've invited on. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's, uh, yeah, the vacation was was very needed. Uh, it's been a bit of busy couple of, uh, couple of, I guess a month, uh, the month of July was pretty busy, um, with everything going on, but yeah, it's been great and, uh, happy to be here and get my hockey brain turned back on a little bit. I mean, we, we have the world juniors next week. Like it's yeah. just a weird, weird like <laughs> just weird summer. But, that took uh, us by surprise too. To it. <laughs> it's like, oh, the World Juniors are next week. Wait, what? That is true. They're, they're like this summer is kind of unique in that it's still one of the ones that are a little bit shorter because of the you know the the NHL rescheduling things like that. And there's so much going on, right? We talked about it uh, last week. We we're like, oh, the draft was this month, right? <laughs> it seems like so much has gone on. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about and not miss was that there's a new hockey league in Montreal and there's a new hockey team in Montreal. And actually, there is quite a, you know, I would say a Canadian superstar on this team. The the Montreal PHF team, I really hope they get a name soon because calling them the Montreal PHF team is is long and annoying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, yeah, I mean, the, the big news um, that happened actually I, while I was away, I, I got the alert on my phone, uh, was that they signed their first seven players. Uh, and one of them, uh, and I, I'm assuming the person you're alluding to is Anne Sophie Bate. Yes, <laughs> and uh, that that was I, I, somewhat of a surprise, not really a surprise. Uh, she's very close with Kevin Raphael, uh, who is the team president and de facto GM, uh, at least at this point. Uh, and I think that what that represents is really what this team is going to be, and what this team is going to be is very local. Uh, a lot of Quebec talent and you're going to see players who might be second, third, fourth line players on a PWHPA team uh, and get paid basically as stars in, in the PHF, uh, which I mean, 
is, you know, Sarah LaFour is another one uh, who signed, who was in that same kind of boat. Uh, she represented Canada at U18s. She actually beat Marie-Philippe Poulain's records at Boston University, um, if you can believe that. Uh, and so it's it just, that's really the, the leadership group for this team, Kim Deshen, uh, is another longtime veteran who who joined the team, and then they're joined with four first and second year pros. So that's really what this team is going to be going forward. And there's there's a lot of talent in Montreal, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into that as we talk a little bit more about this this team. Yeah, and that's something that I'm really excited about because every time we start talking about women's hockey, it always gets drowned out by the discourse. And something <laughs> that I think people really just kind of need to remember is that this is really fun, exciting hockey with world-class players, with talented players. And, you know, I, I want to leave aside all the, why should there be two leagues? Why can't they just get along and all of that? Because all that's all been done to death by people who know more than I do about it as well, right? For me as a person, as a Montrealer, as a Montreal hockey fan, I just want to be able to go to games. Um, you know, I don't have any children, but I know a lot of people, including yourself, have kids. Like, you want to have uh, your kids look up to players who are some of the best in the world, and and particularly... As you mentioned, Quebec has a lot of talent. Montreal has a lot of talent. And there's a lot of people that we can get excited about in our backyard. One thing that people just always forget is that these women have to fight so hard to kind of get not just ice time, not just recognition, not just respect, but also a place for them to play and get paid to play. And to me, this is somewhat something where it's likely going to be pretty easy for us to support, right? The schedule is going to be family friendly. It's going to be friendly for people. You know, this is just something where if you want to see a couple of good players play, if you want to see some exciting hockey, I honestly, I can't get enough of it. Every time I watch women's hockey, particularly uh, in recent years I've come to appreciate it a lot more there's just so much talent so much excitement and I'm just so excited for Montreal to have this right I think that to me is the thing that we need to focus on and when that other league does get created founded it's in the works all of that I don't think that we need to see it as two competing leagues I think we need to see it as two opportunities to watch exciting hockey yeah absolutely I mean look that there's there's so much that you can say uh, about about this, but Montreal is what I, I consider the women's hockey capital of the world. Um, it has the history, it has the current talent, uh, it has everything that you would want from from a city. Uh, it, you know, there's they have three of basically the top ten Canadian university teams uh, in the country or, or in Montreal, uh, and that doesn't even factor in. You know, University of Ottawa, Carleton, who, uh, Bishops, who are also in the Quebec Conference. Uh, it has a bunch of talent that, look, Montreal's CWHL team uh, was a championship contender despite having like three national team players, right? <laughs> so you have, you have three national team players. Uh, at the time, it was Carolyn Ouellette, Charlene Labonte, and it was even before Marie-Philippe Lorraine Rougeau was, was uh, another one. And basically, I mean, they had uh, Julie Chu as well, who's obviously American. But I mean, that, that they basically relied on that second tier. And Sophie Bate, for better or for worse, was part of that second tier for a long time. Uh, and when she finally got the call to Team Canada, it was probably five or six years too late. Um, and you had the younger players coming up and, and passing her on, on the death chart. So people would be surprised at how good those players are because you don't know about them, right? You, you didn't know about Anne-Sophie Bate 
five, six years ago, but you should have. You didn't know about Noemi Marin, but she was she finished as the CWHL's all-time leading goal scorer. These are the players that the PHF team will give opportunities to, and, and even players beyond that, uh, especially because in recent years, Montreal has become a kind of destination for Canadian women's hockey players from outside Quebec, right? So you do have the Marie-Philippe Poulins, the Melodie Daouz, uh, and Renee Debien, but you've also had Emirates Mashmeyer, Aaron Ambrose, Emily Clark, Jamie Bourbonnet, Kristen O'Neill, Jesse Eldridge, a bunch of players from out of the province. And so this gives a, a chance for players coming out of McGill, Concordia, University of Montreal, a place to play after they graduate and get significant playing time, I'm not going to be behind all these national team players. And, and that's not to say that it's a second tier league, because I, I don't want to give that impression, but it's about developing that second generation so that they can become the Anne-Sophie Bates going forward and get a national team look. And I, and I think that that's what you're seeing. Uh, Hockey Canada released a 142 person roster uh, for their summer camps. And there's a lot of PHF players who weren't getting looks before who are now getting looks. And, and I think that that's an opportunity to be seen and play regularly uh, and and it's a it's a great thing for for the province because they'll get more girls to play uh, and and develop into potentially national team players. But even if they're not national team players, even if they're good pro players, that's still good. Uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens are filled with players who are not national team players, but we know yeah. their names. They're getting paid a lot of money, and they have an opportunity to uh, to show their stuff. And yeah, so the, like to me, this is only a good thing, right? Like you have to cut cut out all that noise and just think about the hockey and the players in some in in, in some respects, right? Like there's been so much that's been said, um, and for me, I'm just I for one, I'm just like I'm so excited to just you know go with my friends and watch watch these games and and um, you know get to know some of these players a little bit more, and maybe by the time the next Olympics roll around we will be so well versed in women's hockey and it won't just be, you know, the people who cover it and the diehard fans, it'll just be, you know, everybody will know them because they'll be household names and that's the hope. And I think this is the first step, but coming up next, we're going to talk about the first step to the rest of the Montreal Canadians. We're going to talk about the recently drafted players and which ones Jared is most excited to watch. And then later on, we are also going to discuss Stefan Robida because I know some of the, some of the fans are still a little bit uh, unsure about about that people are still stressing out about uh, Robida so uh, we're going to talk about that in just one moment but first betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds lines and games find reviews and news of every league including major league baseball NFL NBA NHL combat sports esports and even golf betonline can Continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They've got you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that's happening right now. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the draft that just happened since we brought it up earlier in this episode. Let's get back to uh, talking about the Habs and the players they just drafted. I think, Jared, um, you were at the Bell Center along with Scott when... Let's let's start with the surprise first overall pick. Were you shocked at all? Uh, no, I, I'm not, <laughs> sho- not shocked. I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to say that you were shocked when, you know, news came out, I think, what, 15 minutes before the pick was announced, maybe even 20. Um, and listen, up in, if you were surprised, you weren't paying attention, 
right? I think that there was still a chance that it could have been Shane Wright. Um, even, you know, maybe even Logan Cooley. Look, and, and no one, none of the picks would have surprised me unless they picked like, you know, Matthew Savoy or something like that. That would have surprised me. But, but nothing else would have really surprised me. Um, so surprised, no. But I was intrigued by it. And the more that I've gotten to see Uri Slavkovsky interact and talk to people and I talked to him after the draft. I, I it's hard to not like him. I I was okay with the pick when it happened. I was very okay with it when they traded for Kirby Doc. And once I heard Uri Slavkovsky talk a, a little bit more, I was fully on board with it. And look, it might work out, it might not work out, but I do not have any problems with the pick at this point. I'm getting more and more excited. It's very much like you said, right? Like the more information that you get or the more you learn about him, the more you hear about him. And I have to say, it's definitely endearing. I think I think he is definitely somebody who I understand why the Canadians like him so much, right? And they, they, they seem to be their decisions as of late, you know, with the Chris Weidman re-signing and all of that. They, they, they fall in love with a personality sometimes. It does feel like that. But it's not to say that he doesn't have the talent. And we've had people, you know, scouting uh, scouting experts and stuff like that talk to us about what his development should be like or will be like and his potential. But I also want to talk a little bit because we've kind of been doing a little bit. We did a deep dive on Lane Hudson and then we talked a little bit about the OHL prospects on our last episode. Which player the Canadians acquired this season are you most excited to watch develop, whether or not he makes the NHL? Like, whose journey are you most excited to watch? I think it'd be easy to say any of the top, you know, four or so picks. Um, so I won't go there. Um, <laughs> I, I know you just had Lauren on talk about Owen Beck. Uh, he, he was one of my favorites uh, early on as well. Uh, Lane Hudson is just going to be super intriguing to watch as well. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I'm going to say Vincent's Rohrer. The, the good thing about being at the draft is you get to see and interact with these kids, right? They're, they're kids. <laughs> so, but when I, when, when I heard uh, Rohrer talk and the way that he was uh, articulating himself and, and talking about himself as a, as a player, just a hundred percent on board. Like that's just a good kid, like a great kid. And, you know, I've probably heard him talk more than I've seen him play hockey at this point um but but i'm i'm fully on board with him i i I don't think he's going to become like a a superstar or anything like that but but you mentioned the personality thing that's the one thing that struck me is that the canadians are building good character people like you you talk to any of the kids the canadians drafted this past year and they're all like super engaging super friendly um all of their teammates say really good things about them like that's just—it's a type, right? It's—it's not a coincidence. I think it's too—it's <laughs> too easy to say it's a coincidence. I, I think it's definitely a type of player that they're looking for. And uh, Nick Bobrov said after the draft that uh, a bunch of players that they—they're people that people follow. He said it right. about Slavkovsky. He said it about uh, Owen Beck, I think, as well. Uh, they're people that that can be leaders on the team. And, and I think that character was thrown out, <laughs> thrown around a lot by the former regime <laughs> of this team. Um, and sometimes it became a running joke, but I do think that there is something to be said for it. Uh, and, and this Canadians draft really shows the importance of that. And, you know, was it a factor of just being able to sit in a room with these players during the process that they haven't had in two or three years, potentially. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's I, I was very intrigued by a lot of the picks that they had. But I'm going to go with Rohr because I want to see how he how he develops uh, going into his second OHL season uh, and going forward. And it, it's you know the other guys are all really good too, right? Like I can see any <laughs> of them, but I want to I want to be a little bit a little bit more unpredictable. I, I'd say. I, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with the fact that he seems like such a fun personality, right? And I, I think when we talk about the word character, when we talk about the old front office as well, like we, we talk a lot on this podcast about uh, an era of hockey that has come to an end, right? We, we we're, There are some people that are still denial in denial and they think they're still we're still in that era of hockey where, you know, character means that you're going to play injured. Character means that, you know, you're going to punch faces. And while I do believe that there is a time and a place for punching faces um, or when somebody, you know, goes near your goalie and all of that kind of stuff, like I do believe in that stuff. But I do think that character in in, in this front office means personalities that um, will work together, right? Like they will value being in a team and, you, you know, they talk so much about the leadership aspect of it, right? But it's not personalities in such a way that they would necessarily clash or, or you know, and it feels to me that the, the, the one thing they took away from the Canadian Stanley Cup final run last year was the power of doing it for your teammates. You know, you put a bunch of people together. But that, like all of this to say, like we talked so much about their personalities, all of this to say that does not in any way mean that these kids don't have talent or potential, right? Like they did also make on ice hockey decisions. It's just that they fell in love with these players and that and and to their credit right like we as fans have been really excited about these players since we heard their names so i do think that there's a lot to be said for for that and at the same time like if you look at the on ice sort of sort of decision like yeah they didn't go big unless you count slavkovsky like you know he counts for more than one person's size but they didn't necessarily go big right they wanted people who could skate because they have learned that it doesn't matter what somebody does with their hands or their brain if they can't skate they're not going to be able to keep up with the stanley cup winners of tomorrow right all of that kind of stuff. So they're all the, there's a lot of focus on skating. There's a lot of focus on decision making, reads, hockey sense, which also kind of we kind of could tell that that's the direction they're going in when they when they chose Martin Saint Louis. And we're going to talk in a second about some of the other personnel uh, decisions that they've made. But Scott, I have monopolized the conversation. Did you want to ask anything, or are you just trying to be? Are you I, trying to be inoffensive right now? <laughs> I just wanted to also mention like uh, their last pick in the draft, Miguel Torini, um, that undersized high offense defenseman uh, that they picked from the QMJHL there. They've had a lot of success with those seventh round pick going back several years. You have Jake Evans, you have Rafael Harvey Pinard, you have Caden Primo. You now have, whose name I'm forgetting, the, the, they literally just signed him to the Rocket on an AHL deal. <laughs> That's the one, uh, Xavier Simino. And now they have uh, this other overager who can join the AHL this year on an AHL deal. They don't have to sign into an entry-level deal there. And I'm kind of excited to see how that goes because they've had – I don't think I've seen a team generate, you know, players in the seventh round quite like this. They can't hit on anything in the first round, but the further away from that they get, they <laughs> apparently get better at it. So uh, take that for what you will. I'm excited to see what he does. I don't think he's going back to the queue. I think he'll either be uh, in the ECHL or they'll give him a shot with the Rocket as well. I expect he'll feature heavily uh, at the rookie tournament here in Buffalo next month in September, even if it's not on the first you know, pairing. I imagine he's going to get a hefty dose of power play time out there. So I'm excited to see 
uh, kind of what he can do here and see if their seventh round magic continues to work its way forward. I absolutely agree there. I, I want to say I, I was on the record about uh, being hesitant about the Stefan Robida pick or uh, higher. And we're going to talk about that in just one moment. Let's talk about this because we did the episode. It was a Friday mailbag episode um, about right after the Canadians announced that they'd hired Stefan Robida as one of their assistant coaches uh, to help develop their young players. They said the word development. They said develop a lot, right? Uh, obviously, he has player development experience, but he doesn't have that much experience behind the bench. And so a lot of people were concerned not because of the person they chose, but the fact that all of their coaching staff right now seems young or and or inexperienced, right? And I personally, like I said, I'm hesitant because I want to see how it goes, right? And and the way that I sort of decided that I would make my decision or my or or choose, you know, sort of determine my my opinion on this was if the Canadians defensive system comes out in the first 10 games and it still sucks, that's fine, right? 30, 40 games in, I want to see some improvement. At the end of the season, I want to see a system. I want to see some defense. I want to see them play not like they just met five minutes ago. And if I can see that in like game 70, then I'm going to feel better about this. But I'm going to be hesitant. Not because I think that he's in any way, you know, a bad coach or a bad choice. I just worry that, you know, as a whole, this is this is this this is a very inexperienced staff. So Jared, I know you had some thoughts on this that kind of made me feel better and you express them on Twitter, but would you like to express to our listeners how you feel about this decision? Yeah, for, first of all, I, I'm surprised you're not giving him 300 games like they gave you Luke Richardson. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I love Luke. I, 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 that, that's a little harsher than I want it to be. But no, I mean, look, this team, you mentioned it a lot of times, this team is mentioning development a lot. I've never seen an NHL coaching staff mention development more than Martin St. Louis, uh, Kent Hughes, um, and, you know, so many people. I mean, look, they have like, four development coaches the canadians have not had four development coaches ever or i think like if you add all the development coaches they've ever had you get four <laughs> development coaches like it, it's 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 just it's refreshing right like the, the, what you mentioned going into the 21st century when it came to character and the you know players this is the 21st century like this is what you have to do you have to develop players you don't just throw them in the fire and and see what happens and the Canadians are in a unique position where they're allowing their coaches to develop as well, right? Because no one's going to judge Stefan Robida uh, on the first 50 games of the season. This team is not expecting to be very good. It hasn't been very good. And if it's not very good, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're looking like they're going to enter the season with, what, four rookies or young players on defense? Um, but something that really intrigues me about this entire coaching staff and it's actually something that I've thought about a while, ever since Chris Weidman re-signed. And he mentioned that uh, how Martin St. Louis is teaching him things. And that really stuck out with me. And I've meant to write an article about this for a few months now, but I haven't. But maybe I will now. But basically, they're, they're, they're focusing on teaching, right? That's Martin St. Louis, what, was he, what does he always say he was best at? Getting better. Um, he understands that as a teachable tool. Stefan Robida, uh, player development background. Trevor Latowski, player development background. Alex Burrows, 
went from ball hockey hall of famer to NHL player. Um, all these coaching staff hires have development either personally in their professional life or in, in their coaching life. And I think that that's intriguing. You look at Maggie Fiddipolain, uh brought on as development, uh, Adam Nicholas, that they're teaching players how to be better, how to get better. And, and I think that that's probably the most intriguing thing about this entire philosophy is that for some people you see a rookie GM, a rookie head coach, basically three rookie assistant coaches. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, um, but, but at the same time, you're focusing on the people, right. And Trevor Latowski has experience with uh, Team Canada in the OHL. Uh, Alex Burroughs had experienced the Rocket before being uh, promoted to the Canadians. Martin St. Louis, I mean, you know, coaching experience, no, uh, but probably one of the smartest players to ever play in the NHL. Uh, Stefan Robida, a lot of people would say the same thing. And you mentioned size and, and things like that before. Look, undersized Martin St. Louis, undersized Stefan Robida, he played in an era where you just didn't see defensemen his size right. in the NHL. And he made a really long career out of it. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Lane Hudson or, or like Scott mentioned, Miguel Turingi, that's a pretty good guy to teach them uh, how, to, how to deal with uh, NHL players. So I, I do think that there's going to be a focus on, on development. And that goes with the coaching staff as well. That goes with the, the, the executive uh, as well. I mean, so much as, as ta- I, there's been a lot of criticism about Jeff Gordon's history, right? Uh, and his drafting record with the Rangers and development record with the Rangers. But if we're expecting players to develop and coaches to develop, why not executives, right? Jeff Gordon can learn from his mistakes. He can adjust from them. And and same thing goes with Nick Bobrov and um, even Martin Lapointe and all those players, all those people. So Trevor Timmons made a career out of changing his philosophies for better or for worse. He was there for 20 years and he wasn't the same person he was on, on day one. So, I definitely think that there's uh, a very intriguing uh, philosophy with the Canadians and it, it might not work. There's a chance it might not work, but I definitely like their chances uh, of it working and it's not going to be a short term thing. Uh, And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's times when we're like, what is this team doing on the ice? Uh, But I mean, at the same time, like on the penalty kill, for example, (laughs) I mean, you mentioned that you know. Could it be any worse, really? Like, like I, don't, I don't, 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 don't you dare put that out into the world. Can it be worse? It can always <laughs> be worse. This is hockey and sports. We're talking about. How bad could it get? Oh, Aaron Rodgers eats horse paste. Oh, Dominique Ducharme doesn't know what he's doing. It can always get worse when you love sports too much. Always get worse. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at this point, look, I mean, I don't know whether it was Luke Richardson being kind of ducharmed in that he didn't know what to change, or I don't think it's his communication, right? Because players loved his communication. So it, for me, it's a, it's a hard to get a read on why it looks so bad. Uh, I mean, Luke Richardson worked for basically three different head coaches, and nothing really changed and I'm not putting that all on him. I don't think it's all on him. Uh, but I, the personnel obviously was an issue as well, but I just, at a certain point change is good. And would it be better? Would I be more comfortable with more experience? Say a Guy Boucher 
or a Jacques Martin on, on the on the bench, prob- possibly. But at the same time, coaches that are fired were fired for a reason, right? Like I, I just you know I, I feel that this is a player development hire for a team that's focused on player development, so it makes sense. And and uh, look. If you're already going all in with Martin St. Louis, which this team is, why not focus on that and let them all learn together, right? Like, I, I just think that that's, there's something to be said for them coming together as a group and, uh, and and learning together and growing together. So, you know, you have a young team with players and prospects growing together. You have a young coaching staff learning and growing together. I, I think that, that's, that that could be a recipe for success. I also think that there's one thing that we haven't talked about a lot in, in you know, sort of whether or not this is going to work or not, is that the Canadians kind of have the luxury of time. Because if you're going to do this, if any team wanted to do this, there was never a better situation than now, right? There could be so many GMs or front office staffs or executives or presidents or, or owners even that would have wanted to do this, be like, let's get a bunch of rookies in there and let's mold them to what we want right and see see what happens and you have a very short window of time to do that you have to do it coming off of something that is like a season for example that's so disappointing that that people are like anything is better than this and you have to do it with the promise that you know you're not always going to get it right but you're going to try because you feel that the way that you think like I'm just thinking about this and like they are in a unique situation because they not only lucked into this they did they we we have to say they did luck into this right but they also now have the luxury of time because if it doesn't work in year one two three i think it'll be year five before people start pulling out the torches and pitchforks right so if in if some things don't work out but you can see a market improvement by year two three then i think you know they'll get a little bit more leeway from fans but it just i think for me the luxury of time is something that we haven't talked all that much about like we talk about oh they're expected to be bad that next year so it doesn't really matter but no you can kind of also look at it in a different way where they have the time to throw things at the wall see what sticks and then narrow it down and i think that that's something that's really exciting to me and just just the idea where like you know, I, I think I feel like people would dream of having this where they can just start from scratch and just go all new, all new, all new and just pick people that maybe they had a good feeling about, but because they didn't have the experience or they weren't a retread. And it just, you know, and that's never to say that old coaches can't learn new tricks or anything like that. You know, some people do come back having learned and having grown, but just this idea of new new. And it's not just new for, for the sake of newness. It's thought out choices, essentially. It's a plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's the, the key thing here is that there's a plan. Uh, there's a vision. It might not work, but it's cohesive, right? Like it, it all makes sense. It's not like you're, you know, getting... Slavkovsky and then trading Anderson and then trading for a center and then getting another center. And then, you know, like if, if there was another GM in charge, would the Canadians have Shane Wright and Pierre-Luc Dubois right now? Probably. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I just think that there's, there's something to be said for, like you said, a plan and look, they don't have unlimited time, right? Nick Suzuki starting year one of a really big contract. Um, do you really want to waste three or four years of that? Uh, probably not. So, you know, you have Cole Caulfield coming up for a contract renewal very soon. 
Uh, Kirby Dock is probably going to get bridged and then have another contract coming up. So th- there's a transition period, but I don't think that the way I the way things are going, I don't see it being very long if it works, right? Like I think by year three, you're going to know whether it's working or not, right? You're going to yeah. know. Oh, yeah, whether... you're going to know yeah. by year two as well, right? Like you're right. going to see the differences on the ice. You might not have all the be- better players or you might not have a higher, uh, sorry, a higher position in the rankings or make the playoffs or whatever. But you're going to see if you see changes in the way players carry themselves and the way they play and the decisions they make, right? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, it, you know, look, they're entering year two now. That's year two of the Latowski contract, year two of the Burroughs contract. It's a lot easier to, you know, make changes like that uh, going into, as opposed to, you know, firing three guys who just got three-year contracts. Um, you know, the, the, like Luke Richardson, they kind of, I don't want to say lucked out because I, I think they would have been happy with him staying. Um, but at the same time, you allow yourself to get new, new perspectives um, because he gets hired elsewhere. You know, so I think that it's, it was an interesting situation to come into. Uh, I don't know if every GM would have been as uh, gung-ho on, on the future. Uh, I, I think that, you know, maybe other GMs, there'd still be a Tyler DeFoley in the fold, um, maybe even Arturi Lekkinen in the fold. Um, you know, so I, I do think that there's uh, a very focused perspective. But what, what's interesting to me is that, Everything like you can call it kind of like this like country boy country club mentality where everyone's hiring their friends and there's all these connections, but at the same time, they just hired the scout that drafted Emil Heineman. And <laughs> you know, like it's just like if you really believe in these players and these people, why not go all in with them, right? Like Kent Hughes knows Martin St. Louis. Jeff Gordon knows Martin St. Louis. If they agree on philosophy, why not go all in on that? Why do you have to have, you know, different backgrounds for the sake of different backgrounds, right? If you if you agree with Nick Bobrov, why do you have to hire someone who you haven't worked with before? Um, so I do think that there's something, like I said, to be said for kind of developing together. And that goes for a scouting staff, an executive staff, and the coaching staff as well. I, I think that there's really, it, look, it might not work. It might be all like, this is a crazy idea. And in some ways it kind of is, but I'd rather crazy ideas than let's hope that Michel Terry or Alain Vigneault can learn how to win. Again. <laughs> when they have shown that they right. can only get so far. Um, right. like, and- would, any, would people really be happier if Alain Vigneault was the head coach of Montreal Canadiens right now? Don't put that in the world. Do not put that in the world. People got mad at us when we joked about that at Eyes on the Vice. Don't put it out there. Don't don't you do that. I don't want to set evil. Look, if I if I had the power to talk things into existence, I would not be in the situation I'm in right now. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'd be on your podcast, but I, I wouldn't be, you know, in the whole scheme of thing, you know. Anyway. <laughs> And so we didn't even get time to talk about what we think the Canadians need to add, but um, somebody asked that as a mailbag question, actually, for our next episode. Uh, I want to thank Jared very, very much. You can find Jared at uh, on Twitter at Jared Book, literally just his name, right? 
no underscores or anything, uh, as well as at Habs Eyes on the Prize, where he is Scott's boss. Uh, you can find Scott at Habs on the Prize, as well as at Scott Matlaw on Twitter. You'll find me at The Active Stick. The podcast is at LO underscore Canadians. Uh, please email us uh, questions for the mailbag at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Jared, for being here. Um, we are, are so, so excited to have like off-season time to finally just like, you know, let's invite people we like on and talk to them, essentially. Um, so we really, really appreciate your time. As for the rest of you, once you're done listening to this, check out Locked on NHL. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you on Friday with our mailbag.